Okay, last week we did talk about hope, and we lit, we lit the hope candle, and then uh, we've lit the, the peace candle this morning. And we said last week that you can't fully grasp, you cannot fully grasp what hope is and appreciate it unless you're willing to grasp at and appreciate the hopelessness that you have in your life too. Unless I grasp my hopelessness, my frustration, even my anger at the way the world is and the things that are happening in my life, the situations that are happening in my friends' lives, my family's life, um, perhaps even my sin, unless I, unless I grasp on the, onto those things, then it's really hard to fully appreciate what hope is. And so we said that part of the good news of Advent last week and the arrival of Emmanuel, which means God is with us, that's what we sing at Christmas, part of the good news of that is that there's no there is no dark corner of your life. There is no dark piece of your life. There is no mistake. There is no anger that God, he's not in it with you. He's there in all of those things, in your mistakes. He's with you, beside you. He's not making those mistakes with you, but he's not leaving your side. He resides there with you. He enters into those things with you. He goes with you, is what we said. And that is why we sing, Emmanuel, God is with us. That's what it means. He is with us. However, for some of us last week, you came out of week one, and assuming that you dealt with everything that we talked about last week, like you, you considered it seriously, and you kind of put it in your heart, and you're like, okay, there is no dark corner. But some of you walked out of it, and you said, oh, no. No way, really? God is with me in all my dark corners? No way, no how, I don't want that. That doesn't give me any hope at all. In fact, it feel, fills me with fear. And I think that's where a lot of us live, whether we care to admit it or not. And I think that's where a lot of the world lives, with fear. And that's why some people don't ever want to darken the door of a church, because they're like, holy crap, I'm going to have to deal with myself. If I'm, am I going to allow, am I going to give credence to a God who can know everything about me deeply? That doesn't give me any hope at all. And so some people don't ever want to, they put church at arm's bay and they put Christians at arm's bay and they put you at arm's bay because they're like, if I even let you in, you're going to side hug me into this church and I'm going to have to deal with myself and Jesus, okay? It fills us with fear. You're like, I don't, I, I know deeply what it seems to be hopeless. We talked about having hope, and you were like, if you deal with what it means to be hopeless, you're, you're starting to talk about things like, there's this addiction that I have to deal with year after year, after year, after year, and I make a commitment to change it, to do something about it, and it just seems hopeless. And to think that God is present in every dark corner of your life, that doesn't give you any hope. And part of the Advent conversation, I want to put this on the screen for you, part of the Advent conversation revolves around what you believe to be most true about who God is. And we're going to get into that uh, here very deeply. What I'm talking about is, do you believe that God is punitive? That he's out to punish you? We've had a whole series in, in here before, if you've been with us for a few years, about God's not keeping a scorecard of all the things. And in the one column, all the bad things are piling up and there's like one or two things in the good column. He's not doing that. Or is he punishing or is he restorative? What do you fundamentally believe 
about what is most true about who God is. How do we see the presence of this God, Emmanuel, who is with us? That aspect of the Christmas story, which leads us to what we're going to talk about today. So our Advent reading that the Jones family, they read for us, was from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And I want you to open up your device or your, or your Bible and uh, go to that chapter, Luke chapter 2. And if you would, were to continue reading in, in verse 8 through 14, here's what it says. There were some shepherds, right? By the way, anytime, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this, these shepherds are going to encounter these angels we're going to see, okay? And anytime when the angels show up, people freak out, okay? You just read it in the text, you're like, and they were afraid. They were like, what do you do when you're afraid? Like, if an otherworldly being just, boom, shows up, oh, cool, yeah, because you watch too much TV. Yeah, right, if it happened in real life, what would your reaction be? They basically are, old. They, need to, they need to go clean themselves up because they're that scared, okay? Seriously. And the text is like they are deeply, deeply afraid, okay? And in almost every single case where the angels show up, what's the first thing that they say? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I find that really appropriate for this conversation about what do you really think God is like? Is he here to punish you or is he here to restore you? And the very first thing that the angels, the representatives of God say is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of him. Right? Don't be afraid. Do we need to be afraid of him? That's really interesting, right? Anyway, it says there were these shepherds. They're living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they were terrified, shaking in their boots, speechless. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, Peace to those on whom his favor rests. So this angelic host shows up, and they're singing, Glory to God in the highest heaven. Peace, peace to them on whom his favor rests. Now in the English and in the Greek, that verse is somewhat ambiguous, that part about glory to God in the heaven, peace on, on them who in his favor rests. It's an, it, you can read it legitimately, in two ways. There's no accent because we don't have the person speaking to us. The way you read it depends on how someone taught you to read it in most cases. How many of you have been Christians for more than 15 years? Raise your hand. So you've been taught this probably a long time ago, whether you know it or not. And I think the mo that most of us have been taught to hear this passage this way. There is a group A on whom God's favor rests, right? There's an elect group over here or something like that. And God's favor rests on them. And then there's a group B, right? You got group A, God's favor. Group B doesn't have God's favor, okay? And the angels are only pronouncing peace to group A, right? There's only, you know, that's it. Glory to God, glory to God in the highest heaven and on peace to men on whom his favor rests. Those guys, group A, right? 
And then there's another way to read it in both languages, both the English and the Greek, and that is there's only one group. There's only one group. There's only group A. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace to men. That's the old patriarchal way of saying all humankind. Ladies, you're included. Okay? Peace to all humankind on whom his favor rests. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Okay? And if you read it that way, on whom does his favor rest? All mankind. The angels show up and say, all of you. All of you have God's favor. Jesus is here for all of you, this Messiah. So there's two ways to hear that announcement, which, by the way, if I hear what the first angel said, which was, which was what? What did he say? Don't be afraid. That gives us a hint on which way to read it, I think. I bring you good news, tidings of great joy for who? All people. Thank you, Nancy. All people. Okay? What's really interesting here is that they're announcing peace. They're announcing peace to a world that has none. It's a world in which there is no peace. So much has changed, right? We have so much peace now. Yeah. <laughs> People shaking their head. No. But they're living in a brutal world full of violence and hunger and oppression under this Roman Empire who says what? Pax Romana. Peace we give you, right? And the angels show up and they announce peace into this world. And I've always struggled with that in the Christmas story because what changed for them after, after this proclamation of peace to you? What changed? Did their situation change? Was the Roman Empire done away with and all of a sudden they got their comeuppance and everybody had peace after that? No, nothing changed in their situation. None of the bad stuff is taken away. Their reality never changes. And yet the angels, they still come to them in their situation and they pronounce peace to them. So how can they say that? If you read what this says, though, it says according to the scriptures, the peace is connected to what? He says, peace to all men on whom his favor rests, which is all of you. And he says, that's what the peace is connected to. God's favor rests on us. His favor rests on you. How would I translate that for today? Last week we said, God is with you. This week we would say, God is for you. He is for you. He is behind you. Second week of Advent is always the week of peace because God is not only with you, he is for you. Now, I don't spend a lot of time talking about Romans. I'm not a big Romans preacher because there's a lot of Romans being preached all the time by churches. If you grew up in church, it was Romans all the time. And, it's, and it was always like, kind of like Bible thumping, okay? And I'm, so I kind of avoid it, but it's too good to pass up today. So we got to do this, not to thump the Bible, but to like talk about this, in, in, kind of flesh it out a little bit, pun intended. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Paul wrote, writes this uh, before the Gospels, but um, they kind of go hand in hand, and we're going to see some really interesting things here. What does this have to do with the Christmas story? What does it have to do with peace? This is what it says in verse 30, 31 of Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You've all heard this before, yes? 
Many of you, okay? I know this is like a lot of people's, this, this section is like some of people's favorite passages of Scripture, but just think about this for a minute. If God is for us, and the assumed response Paul has there is, He is for you, right? If God is for us, then who can be against us? That's the question. Do you believe that this Christmas? Amen? Do you believe that? That God is for you? Okay? Do you believe that God is for you? That he's not out to punish you? That he's here to restore you? Do you really believe that? Because if he is, who can be against you? Who can be against you? What can be against you? That's really important because of what I said before. Some of us came out of last week going, God's with me in all of my garbage and all of my darkness. I know what my dark corners are, and you're saying God's there? Oh my gosh, that's not a good thing. And Paul responds, hey, well, if God is for you, who can be against you? What could be against you? What could you possibly do to undo the fact that this God is for you, that his favor rests on you? He keeps going in verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who will bring any charge? Who can say anything against you? Whatever your dark corner was or is, Paul says, but who's going to bring a charge against you? Verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? When you are, if you're like brought up in churchy church, you're like, I know who it is. It's Satan. He's going to condemn me. Well, not according to Paul in Romans chapter 8. It's not in there. Who then condemns? What's it say? No one. To which we all say, Amen. Right? Amen. Who is the one that condemns? No one. If God is, a for, is for us, who can be against us? It is God who justifies. So if God is not the condemner, then who could be? Who could stand against him? Who could stand against God as the condemner? Anyone? Anything? Nobody could. If God is the justifier, not the condemner, it makes me think of how Paul, he starts this chapter, if you just go back a page or whatever, scan up to verse 1. There is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, it does not exist. Because God's not the condemner. He's the justifier. Let's sum this up. God is not against you. He's not against you. Let it sink in. It's Christmas time. He's for you. He is for you. Verse 34, halfway through. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What dark corner were you dealing with last week? What are you still dealing with today? What can separate you from the love of Christ? What do you really believe? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine 
or nakedness or danger or sword. And it's worth noting, by the way, that he's not just putting these up, these as, up there as metaphors. Like, you know, can the metaphor of famine separate you from Jesus? These are harsh, real realities that he is speaking to. What are the realities for us? These are literal things that he's saying. Real swords. Really not having any clothes or they're taken away from you. Or you're starving. And he's saying none of that can separate you from Jesus, from the love of Christ. So what can separate us from the love of Christ? What can separate us from the fact that God is for us? What is it that you have to be afraid of? What are you afraid of? What mistake could you possibly have made in your past? And we've all got a past. What mistake could you possibly have made if God, the creator of the universe, is for you? Who can be against you? And the answer is no one. Say it with me. No one, right? He's not a condemner. He's a justifier. The question is, who was it last week that had a corner that was so dark that the good news of Advent can't penetrate into that and through that? God's not just with us. He is for us. Let's keep reading. It says in verse 36, As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, I think he's covered everything, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the progression of Advent. Advent starts with hope, and it says God is with you in your hopelessness. He's with you in your despair, and we call him Emmanuel. And then part of us on the inside of us goes, wait a minute. You serious? That's not good news. And then Advent kicks it up a notch. Kicks it up a notch and says he's not just with you. It's not that he just knows every dark little dirty secret you have. He is for you. Yeah. He is for you. Paul says it elsewhere in a totally different way. He says, you know, sin increased all the more. Grace increased even further. And the word in Greek is what? I know I've said this to you before. It's he, you've been graced. Then sin happened. He goes, you've been hyper-graced. Which is sweet. I wish we had like a song with that in it, you know. You've been hyper-graced. Man. Advent is like, it's like, here's some good news, and here's some more, and here's some more, and it just keeps piling it on. It just keeps piling it on. And we got two more weeks to pile it on, okay? Before Christmas, okay? It's not just that God is with you. He is for you. Just look at what Paul said. So he's in, we're in Romans chapter 8. Swing a couple pages to the left and find Romans chapter 5. This is before he got to this part in chapter 8. The angels, what we've just studied from Luke 2, they're glory to God in the highest. 
So there's glory and there's peace because of favor is what we looked at. And last week we looked at hope. So you could say there's hope and glory and peace and favor that's being given to us. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, verses 1, 2, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. That's a new word. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. I want to pause there for a moment because this is like all the technical language. It's where you hear, Romans is where you hear justification, sanctification, righteousness, all these big churchy church words. And we're like, yeah, we get that. No, we don't get that. There's our legal system and all those words the way they're used there. And then there's what a Jewish person would have thought when they would have been looking at this stuff and hearing these words way back, okay? A couple thousand years ago. So let's pause for a minute for the Jewish conversation here about the term justification. Justification. For a Jewish rabbi like Paul, like, we want to do this. We want to link justification and salvation. Even when we give our definition of what salvation is, we connect the idea of justification and salvation. And that's not totally bad. But in a, in a Jewish conversation, what they do is they completely separate. There's justification and there's salvation. And they're two very distinct things. And they would argue that line of thought. And I want to, I want to concentrate on the justification part. He said, they would say, you are saved by grace. And then they would say, you are justified by faith. There would be people in the Jewish conversation kind of arguing those two distinctions. What they're getting at is this. To be justified. When we read these verses, to be justified means you're exonerated. In case you don't know what exonerated means, it means as if it has, it's as if it never happened. Are you getting this? Good news! (laughs) It's as if it never happened. Holy cow. (laughs) And a lot of other holy stuff in there. It's my word. Paul takes this really seriously. It's as if it never happened. To be exonerated, it doesn't mean that anything legal has happened. It's just that God steps in through his son Jesus and says, you are now declared righteous. It didn't happen. What's your dark corner? It didn't happen for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are justified, free from guilt and shame. There's no blame. Who can condemn you? No one. (laughs) My gosh. Since God has favor... We have been justified. And because of that, guess what? We have peace. Anybody else need some peace? (laughs) Yeah. So the angels, let's put this up on a graphic. I tried to graph it. It, You know, none of these are ever perfect, but I'm going to try and show it. The angels said in Luke 2, don't be afraid. That makes me very hopeful. They also say "Great good news of great joy. And they say glory. And they say peace. And they say favor. That's in Luke 2. And then we go back to Romans 8 and Romans 5. Paul says, you're justified through faith. That's that's the favor part. You've been given the favor. He stepped in and said, exonerated. It's as if it never happened. Peace through Jesus. I wonder what might might be coming next in Romans 5. Let's read that, starting in verse 2 again. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the... 
hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, who has been given to us. It's like Paul and the angels were getting their source material from the same place, right? The Advent story starts with hope. And why can you have hope? Well, glory to God in the highest, because we have peace, because God's favor rests on us. And Paul comes back later and says, well, we have favor, and that gives us peace, and we glorify God, and we end up with hope. It's, it's different than the kinds of narratives that you and I have been given, that we've been raised with. And some of these narratives are going to remain nameless, but I'll tell you one of the Christmas narratives that I grew up with. And it wasn't like somebody said, this is the Christmas narrative, and you, you better believe it. You all know this one. It's this one. <laughs> you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not, I'm telling you. Yeah. And how different is that from what we talked about last week? How different is that from the, from the invitation to a place where we could pout? That's what we talked about last week. You can cry. You can give this to God, is what we said. And we can connect with those dark places because that's where hope, in that hopelessness, that's where hope gets its spark. And you go, yeah, yeah. So you better not pout, right? You better not pout. He's just making a list and he's checking it. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice and he sees you when you're sleeping. Creepy. This is a creepy song. This is... Take off, you're darn right, Tim. Take, I mean, it's, this is probably, I'm not, I don't go in for the horror movie stuff, but I am sure there's some like Christmas horror movie where this song is playing and it's to some creepy minor key. Uh, yeah, it, he sees you when you're sleeping. Like, you don't have the happy music with it and you're like, this is disturbing, right? <laughs> yeah. He sees you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake and he knows if you've been bad or good. He knows if you've been bad or good. So, yeah. It's a different kind of Christmas narrative. Tell me, though, that that's not exactly the way we struggle with our view of God. That's how we struggle with our view of God. He's, he's keeping a list and he's checking it twice and he's going to find out if you're naughty or nice and all that garbage. We get all that mixed up with our God stuff, you know? We get it all mixed up. You better watch out because who's coming to town? Jesus is coming to town. And we substitute his name in there, and we think that that's what he's about. You want to know why people don't want to come to church? Because they don't want to feel like crap. They don't want to be put to shame. Don't do that to anybody. Please. It's a different Christmas narrative, the one that's real. The real Advent narrative is so much better than that song. Jesus is not watching you like that. He's not ready to just rain fire down you in a moment's notice with all this punitive wrath. 
That is not the Advent story. What's the Advent story? It's a baby. What's he going to do to you? (laughs) He came to be like you. The angels sing this totally different song. Right, Ivy? Thank you. (laughs) Preach it, sister. It's... Here's their, here is what they preach to us. This is the Advent story, and we'll, we're going to end it right here. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest heavens. And may you have peace because God's favor rests on you. Amen? Yeah. That is the good news Christmas gospel, if I've ever heard it. Amen? Yeah. We're going to move towards our communion time. I'm going to invite uh, the band back up here, but I want to go through some implications here in a minute. We call this a lot of things communion. The Church Universal calls it by a lot of names. The Lord's Table, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, Jesus' Table, the Eucharist, which means thankful. Are you thankful? Yeah. And if you're new with us, we have an open table here. And what that means is if you'd like to join us in affirming and celebrating the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, then we invite you to do that with us. If you want to affirm that, then we invite you to Jesus' table and to celebrate that with us. So in a moment, um, I'm going to invite you to come forward to the tables at the front. And what you do is you take the bread and you dip it in the wine and you take it back to your seat. And then after you've had time to pray, we'll take it together. Um, But here are the implications. The first implication is this. Hope and peace are related. They are related. Because we have peace, we are empowered to hope. If you came out of last week, or if you are just continually dealing with this stuff of, I don't want God with me in my dark places, then the answer lies in today's message, week two, where the angels say, you can hope because God is not only with you, He is for you. He is for you. And the second implication is this. In Advent, we see exactly that, that God is not only with us, He is for us. It is one thing to say, Emmanuel. And to sing it, God, you're with me, you're with me, you're with me. It's a totally different thing to add to that the fact that God is for you. He is for us. It's something totally different to know that God is for you. It's just fantastically peaceful, to be honest with you, to be at peace with that. The third implication is this, that even to this day, December 8th, 2019, The angels are still pronouncing peace and favor upon us, upon you. Even to this day, what can separate you from the love of God? And if we need a picture, if we need a picture to show us how serious, how serious God would be about this truth, it's this physical reminder each week that this Christmas story It ultimately culminates in a room with Jesus' disciples, which ultimately then leads to a cross. And let's not forget, it leads to 
an empty tomb. It's a God who comes down to be with us and to die for us, to wrap himself in flesh and walk among us. And the angel said, where? In the town of Bethlehem, which in Hebrew is Bethlehem, the house of bread. In the town of Bethlehem, the bread, the bread of life was born. And you have this reminder that, that Jesus gives us when it seems a little too good to be true. And it does sometimes, doesn't it? It seems a little too good to be true. But it is true. It's true. A little unbelievable that God loves us that much, that God would truly be for us. Every week we have this reminder. He says, what is this reminder? Let's look at this in a different way. I would go to this length to show you how adamant I am that I am for you. I'm for you. And so he says, you need to remind yourselves because we're going to forget because it's far too easy to think that he's got a list, right? It's far too easy to think that he's got a list and that he's checking it twice. And he says, remember, I want you to remember something. I don't have a list. If I did have a list, I got rid of it a long time ago. If there was a cup of wrath, I drank it for you, is what he says. And what I've really brought, brought you is love and forgiveness what I've brought you is the physical, incarnated truth that God is for you and His favor rests on you and you and you and you and you and you. Rests upon you. Come forward when you are ready to partake to the table that Jesus has prepared for you. It's His table. And remember, above all else, the good news. Jesus Christ. Amen.